Dan, hello. What's going on, Kyle? How are you? Not too much. I'm doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing excellent. Good, good. Good to hear. How was your week? It was an interesting week this week. It was uh, a lot happened and I thought it was, yeah, it was one of the, it was a challenging one, but it was a good one overall. I think we ended on a good note today. Yeah. I had a super, super busy week. And I think that's, that's good. It's nice to have those. Some weeks are busier than others. This one, this one was definitely a busy week. Uh, startup growth podcast. That's what we're on right now. Yes, sir. What are we going to talk about today? So I think uh, there's a couple different directions we could go with this. I, uh, I think that talking about how we start relationships mm. is kind of an interesting one that harkens back to sort of a lot of the things that you and I talk to with, with teams throughout the week. Okay. And you, you and I approach things from different angles. You're much more the call guy. I'm more of the written uh, guy, whether it's emails or LinkedIn. Right. So uh, a couple of interesting things happened where we can get into more detail in a second. But what do you think of that as a starting point? How yeah, to start I think, relationships? I think that's good because it applies to a lot of different aspects of growing a company. How do we start relationships with our target buyers? Sure. That's a classic one. We should touch on that. Also, like how to start relationships with VCs, other founders, peer groups, right? Like we talk a lot about having good mentors. Like what about having good peers that you interact with? So I think it's a really good uh, topic for today. Let me, let me throw in a subtopic here that might be like that. a different one. Just uh, sort of came to mind. What about starting good relationships internally? So as you grow a team, how do you sort of set culture? Do you want to go down that path or do you want to go down the first one? I'd like to do all of them. Okay. Where should we start? I think the culture one's an interesting one. Okay. Why don't we start there? That's a, that's been a really big part of watching these teams getting built sort of in front of my eyes, right? I, yeah. I, it's been really cool to see how easy it is to really set certain expectations when it comes to energy levels, when it comes to, you know, what's the norm for participation here? What's, what's the, where do we go above, above and beyond? What do we do to sort of, you right. know. And you can sort of feel these almost tangibly when you, when you get into meetings with certain 100%. teams. Can I ask you a question about this? How long does it take for you to tell how well a team performs based on your first meeting with them without looking at any actual data on their performance numbers? Not, excuse me. And I don't mean like performance sales-wise, because sometimes they perform well sales-wise, but I mean dysfunction within a team. Great, great call out by good additional specificity there yeah, because it, 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 it adds. Um, so technically I do like to see a couple of written pieces from the teams because I, I want to see that. So, you know, I, I'll add that in and like say 24 hours, but usually that is almost, it only confirms what I see in front of me right. in the first, I would say, honestly, in the first minute. Like you can see First it minute. really quick. Yeah. Well, especially if everybody has their cameras off, <laughs> you know, like it's a real thing. people have their camera off, super uncomfortable and we're a big camera on group here, mm -hmm. but like you hop into a meeting, everybody has their camera off or the leader has their camera off. That's another one. I agree. Like for me, like once I start seeing engagement from the team, I know, or lack of engagement. So after like 10 minutes, I have a really strong sense of how functional this team is and how well they work together. Well, let's say after everybody has had at least a minute to speak. There you go. That's a good, that's, that, a good that, that's, that's where I, I want to see cameras on people generally happy to be there. Right. And then a minute of just saying something that shows that you care about what the overall target is as, as a yep. company and that you have some sort of personality and some sort of personal goals that you want to drive to. And where do you think this comes from? The companies that do it well. Definitely is majorly influenced from the top down, 100%. Right. I think the companies that do it really, really well 
do it in a way to sort of suck people into the company, including new hires that immediately want to, want to start doing it the right way. I can uh, give you an example of this. Like this is a standard thing that I've been asking for from, from teams is to see a specifically LinkedIn messages. Cause again, it's the quickest sort of feedback loop that I can I get my hands on. And when I ask for this from people, you will often see right away people who go, okay, I guess, I mean, you know, and then it'll take them a couple of days and then, you know, yeah. maybe they'll forget about it and maybe they'll, so it's a, how serious are you going to treat me? But it's a good marker. And then there's other people who will, with, as soon as we hang up the call, there's something that hits my inbox where the person's collected everything, documented it, added notes and asked almost for more, for more guidance, more, you know, more involvement in, in I guess, coaching in, in a way. And I'm, th there's no middle ground though on that. Oh, interesting. That's really like in, in my Black experience, it's, too. it's either you sort of like, I've dragged you kicking and screaming to do a very simple primary task yeah. of past work. And it's not even asking you to do new stuff and then to show your work essentially. What do you think is the difference between those two personas? So I think we've seen this happen with people who are established and successful. They don't want to re, re, redo anything that they, they think that they already know what they're doing right. strongly. And I think that's also a red flag, frankly. I mean, I think that if we are looking for truly to build top performing teams across the board, no matter what your experience level is, you got to be open to improving and, and debating and debating for sure. Yeah. I find the best teams are the ones that push each other to mm -hmm. do their best work. And it doesn't just come top down. I mean, that's where the culture comes from, to be clear. But as far as that collaboration or maybe some of that friction as well, in some cases, it comes from each other. Like the best teams we get the opportunity to work with, everybody on the team who's of the same authority level, or maybe that's where uh, the same, at the same stage in the career, like same title, the better ones actually push each other and everybody has something to say. And I think that's really healthy. So I go back to the, the analogy of like, of team sports here, basically. I think that's, that's the one that speaks to me. You can probably, you know, everybody has their own version of this, but when I think of the best teams that are out there that, you know, the ones who are, for lack of a better term, I don't know, jerks to each other, but like really good about the, very good at their jobs and stuff. Yeah. I think that they get good performance. They're very serious about things. Everybody shows up to work and really sets the tone and all that, that, you know, it's really tough. And, but it's, it is tough to maintain that yeah. for a long time. And I think it's, you have to have very specific personality types to be able to survive in that sort of, in that sort of mentality or, or around that mentality. However, if you have a team that buys in at a peer level and where people are actively supporting each other and sharing their best stuff openly and not being competitive about it and sort of saying like, Hey, you know, what's worked great for me this week was this email. I didn't really expect it to, I tried it out. I wanted to share it with you guys, see, you know, uh, see what you think. Or, you know, you, you regularly, I've seen teams that don't ever speak to each other, which is a bad sign. Yeah. And I think that's the, the worst sign, but then it's levels of enthusiasm to engage with your teammates, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you kind of take that team mentality on, you say, all right, cool. These are, these are the people I'm sort of going to war with, right. You know, in a, in a sense, right. like we're, we're, we're all on the same team. We're all kind of chasing the same goals. I'm going to help them. They're going to help me. That's a really special thing. And it's difficult to foster that. Right. Well, why do you, it's super difficult to foster that, but any thoughts around how to foster that kind of culture? Yeah, I, I, I actually have really strong thoughts on this. I think that when you look at, I'm going to talk about it from the writing side, but I think you could totally apply this to the call side too. And that's kind of what our role is in, in a sense of how we try to work with people. 
it is adding structure to the communication. So it, internally, how often are people meeting without leadership? I think that that's a key thing. I think, look, I think leadership being there for, for guidance and, and all that stuff is important too. But again, back to the sports analogy, when it, when a team is in a tough spot, sometimes there'll be a players only meeting, right? And the, the team captain or, you know, some, right. one of the actual players calls a meeting and kind of has their, their moment with, with the team to sort of come together and, and work together. You don't do this randomly. There's structure to it. So if I sort of carve out, you know, a half hour meeting once a week with my teammates, mm-hmm. um, internally, we do this of ours. We have, we have a daily check-in with each other. It's, you know, 15 yeah. minutes long. And it, what it, it does is it allows us to have a regular recurring place where, look, if there's nothing going on and there's no real updates to have, it's, it's a five minute meeting. Cool. Everybody good? Good. Let's go. But at least having that space to create a, an expectation to rely on regular communication with each other, that's, that's the starting point. You have to, you have to carve out that time and then, and then create the habit. Well, the team collaboration that what you're really highlighting here that I think is important is that the peers peers within the organization are interacting with each other. And this gets really difficult with the remote environment. Yes. And not that a remote environment is bad. I actually, I kind of think it's the only way to go. I'm seeing this stuff. I saw multiple posts this week on LinkedIn talking about companies that kind of announced that they're coming back into the office where other companies that have that remote work, work life reach out to the employees of that company saying like, Hey, are you sick of commuting again? Yeah. You want to go back to working at home? Like you did during the pandemic, come work for us. And they're poaching really good talent that way. So anyway, I think it's here to say, stay, assuming that that's true, we have to do a better job allowing peers within the organization to communicate. And I think the responsibility is both on leadership, but also the individuals at the organization to facilitate that kind of, those kind of regular touch points. Because what's happening now, I see this a lot because almost all of our clients are remote, are remote workforces, is the individuals are becoming very siloed. Yes. And there's not that, not all companies have good overlap there. And that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And what happens is people care less about the company. So not bought in as much with the company. They don't care um, um, that much about their peers because they don't interact with their peers very much. And they become very individualized. And for sales roles, especially very team oriented, but I think most roles are very team oriented. I, I would agree with that. I, th- I think you're, you're hitting on a, on an important and timely thing that we are going through a cultural shift in work. And yeah. I think and to be clear, our own team uh, is mostly remote. If you think about it, like it's really yeah. just three of us in Pleasanton and then people scattered around the U S the Philippines and, you know, a couple different places, but yeah. in general, like we, 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 I mean, I personally have run into this in the, in the past where we're also dealing with people, including myself, who were previously soloists, were previously, you know, contractors, uh, freelancers, you know, I was a consultant for t- more than 10 years, you know, on yep. my own to make that shift, to come back to the, to build teams together. Yeah. There's, and that's a really important thing. We're not just doing a project together. We're not just kind of doing something that we're shipping in three months later and then that's it. See you later. We we've got to adopt a different mentality. Yep. And my job with, with my, uh, I'm thinking of, you know, two, two of my guys, especially was to sort of try to shift that mentality. And I've talked to this, you know, about this directly, you know, with them where it's like, okay, we were in this position. Now we are all trying to build something different, but that requires an active buy-in, including for myself mentally. I'm not, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, I haven't worked like this in 10 years. And in order to do that, 
it's a, it's a case of, okay, how about we set up a structure? Number one, like I said, yeah. number two, let's acknowledge that we're probably going to be over communicating at first. It totally, maybe it's too much, but I'd rather it be too much than too little because it, it's, I mean, we were talking about this earlier today and Kyle made the point about being a certain way and then being able to scale back is easier than being a certain way and then having to ramp it up. Yep. And it's, it's a, it's a, on a totally different, different subject, but I think this, it applies here too. So if you, we over communicate, we have daily sessions, we do this stuff at first, at least then I'll get to know you as a person. Yeah. At least then I'll be able to kind of drive something and then say, okay, look guys, we all know what we're doing. Believe in each other. We're all good. We can really back a little bit. Yeah. But if we have, you know, something where we've been working together for a year and suddenly it's like, oh, you know, we've gone from monthly meetings to like, I, ne I need to meet you daily and all this. It's, it feels really weird. The energy's strange. It, it's, it's, it's not really that good. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. You want to make sure that you set the right expectations with your team. And I think those daily meetings are important. I really do. And people who aren't doing it, I think it's a mistake. I think you should be meeting with your team every single day. So I, this is, I think, is that something we grabbed from scaling up? Yeah. I remember, I remember that, that little moment where we were on that trip in San Diego and we, we'd both been reading Scaling Up, which is, which is a great book. And it's actually a great book because it's so tactical. It's not just philosophical and like business theory and whatnot. It really gives you structure. And at the time, I thought daily meetings were going to be too much. And looking back at it now, I think it's actually essential, especially because of the format of the team. Yeah. You know, and it, it's a, it's a way to, I know a lot of people are going to hear daily meetings and go, why are you meeting when it could just be an email? And I think we have moved in, in a, you know, maybe if you're at a huge company, that's a different story, but at a, at a startup specifically, and that is, that is hopefully, you know, what you guys listening to this are and what we are, you've got to kind of go above and beyond to build the environment you want to be in. Yeah. Let me share the format of the daily meetings. Sure. I think that'd be helpful for people. Mm -hmm. So what we do, and, and as Dan mentioned, look, this is from the, the book scaling up. It's really, really good for very, very simple format. The first part of it is you ask everybody, you go around and everybody share what they're working on over the next 24 hours. And the idea behind this is that everybody understands what everybody else is working on. It's pretty simple, you know, pretty simple idea, but a powerful one because you, you realize People actually do things that you don't see. So that's one of the things that's, that's part of it. The next part of it is what blockers do you have? And then what ends up happening is between those two topics, there's kind of conversations that break out that cause offline stuff, which is really useful. So, Hey, why don't we talk about this offline because I can help you overcome that blocker or because you're working on that thing. Like I can provide some kind of resource. So that's really helpful. But the other thing too is sometimes the blocker that comes up can get solved immediately. And what would have been a couple of days because the person was like, sent an email out, like, okay, let me get you that. They don't realize how important it is or how big of a blocker it is. Things get delayed. When you have a daily meeting, it's like nothing gets delayed. You get through things really, really quickly and it takes 15 minutes. Everybody talks for, you know, two, three minutes a piece. Super quick. It feels good. You catch mistakes before they, before they, they snowball into something bigger. That's right. It's, it's, it's very actually important in my opinion. Um, I, I also think there's, there's a certain element of getting to know each other almost where a little bit of exposure to each other, where, you know, it's, it's hard to dislike people who you speak to every day, but are also in, in a, this is very important in a way that hopefully <laughs> you, uh, I was going to say that, that, that is positive, which is a very broad statement, but let me explain what, what I mean by that. And I going back to the, one of these points that we've talked about at Voris all the time about being uh, radically optimistic and, and right. radically positive. If 
we are doing our job as sort of, let's say, department leaders in this case. If I'm claiming any win that my department, anybody in, the, in, in, in my team has done, if I'm claiming the win, it's going to destroy momentum so quickly. Absolutely. And if I don't say anything about the win, if I, so basically, there's, there's a few things I can do. I can claim the win myself personally. I say, look at what I did. I can not claim the win mm-hmm. at all. Or I could, I could pass the win off to the person who actually did the, did the thing that was responsible for the win. Right. I see many people do the middle thing where they don't do anything. And by not doing, by not saying, hey, for example, on our team, you know, let's say Rex was responsible for, for, this, uh, for this, yeah. this thing. And he, the responsibility is there. If I don't actively point to it, the rest of the team doesn't necessarily know that. Right. And it, 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 it kind of creates a, a very strange vibe for the person who's created the win. Right. That's why we have, we have a little sort of process where we, we actively try to celebrate everybody specifically. This is so important, specifically yeah. in Slack and, you know, and making sure that everything gets passed off to the right person. Yeah. Thank you real quickly to adjust what you said, because I think it's important to acknowledge, um, yeah, sometimes they just don't acknowledge the win at all, but sometimes they, they claim the win as a team win, which it is, right? Because the team had to accomplish something, but they don't call out the individual who is the big driver there. Yeah. And that's an important piece of the puzzle. It's good to kind of share ownership of wins across everybody who was involved, and you absolutely should do that. But if there is a win that one person was responsible for accomplishing that had a major impact, that person should be praised publicly for that win as opposed to taking team ownership of the win where really it was one person. And everybody on the team already knows the one person who was responsible for that thing. But by not calling that person out individually, you're taking away some of the, you're, you're some of the juice, some, some of the, the juice. Yeah. Some of the excitement, some of the, the, I mean, really just the credit, like people want recognition. They want to feel like they're doing good. So by taking that away, it really hurts. And also when you're in a remote environment, people don't get a lot of time to kind of overlap and communicate with each other. Then they're not going to know what other folks have accomplished. I think that's a real problem. Yeah. And it, it's something where it's, it's solvable, but you've got to be on top of it. And if you can create the culture around it yourself by, by, by leading by example, I guess, but also making sure that everybody, you know, is, is aware that this is, this is sort of part of our culture here. It does get repeated by everybody else. It trickles down. Yeah. It, it, it's something that is a, a very important thing that can be, um, not just taught, but, but I don't know what, what, what the word is. It, 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 I think if you fall off doing it, you really hurt the, you know, the progress of a team. And it's a, it's one of those things where there's a tipping point. And if you, it's very easy if it's just three of us in a room, right? Right. And I know everything that, that Kyle and Leo are doing and they know what I'm doing. And, you know, I can sort of easily sort of say like, oh, you know, I, I, I know who that, if Kyle has not talked to my team in a little while and something good happens and that's it, I have to remember actively to sort of be, to sort of, you know, call it out specifically and not just that with Kyle, but the whole team. Yeah. So I, I so I've been doing this recently with the folks that I've been meeting with and on Mondays, just having one doc where. Let's say the uh, about half dozen people that I that have touched marketing projects here see everything in one place, and the benefit of that is again people know what each other are doing. Yeah. It's so that when I, when I have something that I'm supposed to do, it's not just one thing that I'm handing off to right. you know I guess my boss or something, and then that's it. See you later. I don't and I don't know what happens to that thing. I understand where my work fits in the overall win of the team. Right. To me, that is fundamentally important to creating a feeling of just wanting to be there. Right. I mean, I have worked for so many, again, this is the the difference between how to get from contractor to full-time, you know, real buy-in with people. 
I've worked with so many projects where I was asked to do something specific, like an email campaign or, you know, or specifically a couple of emails within a campaign, something like that. Right, right. Do my work, put in the effort, rah, 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 right? And then I don't know, I don't know what happened. You know, I handed it in, I did a good job. Maybe I get a little testimonial out of it. I don't know my numbers. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, you know, so. It, Can I ask you a question? This is interesting. Right now, I think there's more people than ever who are becoming freelancers. A lot of folks have realized you can make pretty similar money working probably less, arguably less uh, for themselves and you'll make pretty similar money. But the life of a freelancer isn't necessarily a great one. People don't talk too much about it. Like it can be really good, but not for everybody, right? And maybe you disagree with that, but we can talk about that in a minute. It's difficult. In my opinion, it's kind of difficult to be a freelancer. You have to do these goofy sales meetings with folks from Upwork or whatever. Like it, anyway, it's just, it's not the same as having a dedicated role in an organization. I wonder if in five years, three years, we're going to start seeing people go back the other way where they're like, look, I'm kind of burnt out of this freelancer thing. Let me just get a full-time job. I don't have to worry about selling anything. I don't have to have frustrated clients or anything. And I can just focus on doing a really good job at work. And then more companies are going to have to hire people who have the background of being freelancers and figure out how to then like integrate them with a strong team dynamic. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but what are your thoughts on that? So I, I'm with you on most of it. And I think there's a, I think there's a reason for, for this. So to, in, in my opinion, I think that great careers are built off of the back of really developing your value. And yep. so you, and you do that by collecting experiences. And some of them I think are good to do it on your own, could go off, work a freelancer project so that you do understand how to sell your service. How, yeah. So you understand how to collect money. So you understand how to market, you know, all, all these yeah. basics. I think that that is a, a, an important point, not to build a side business necessarily. You don't need to do that. But in order to understand what your workflow is like, the more you can do that, the more you can take to a team. The better experience you ha can have from a team, the more you can learn that, take it back to your freelancing. So I, I think that there are careers, I, I'm thinking about a couple founders, especially from you know, one of the guys in New Mexico I told you about, that was his career. He would build incredible companies mm -hmm. with his team, with his kind of core guys. Every every few years, they'd build another an incredible company. Right. And then they'd take a break and he'd go do his uh, his thing, which would ha happen to be a, a, as, a, as a fly fishing coach at, or a fly fishing a professional guide. Would, and, and he was literally the number one in, in America. Anyway, so... Uh, a huge, huge way, but it, it was really interesting what he brought from the personal stuff into the team stuff, back to the personal stuff, back to the team stuff. It's kind of being very well-rounded. Yes. And it, it creates a, it creates a very strong business person, if that makes sense. Or, well, I wonder if it's the best people to hire. Okay. I'm thinking if you have the opportunity to hire a freelancer and bring them onto your organization, it might be the, the best hire because they understand their value. And they've executed on these types of projects that they're going to be managing within your organization before as a standalone individual. Also, isn't talking to somebody's client way better than talking to a reference that they put like a personal reference, something they've worked with before in the past, you know, Probably. like they're always going to give you like, well, I mean, they're going yeah, to give they're, you they're ground or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they're going to give you good clients too. But the fact that good clients exist there, I think is a really big positive. So, I mean, well, I've like, I, I literally went through this, right. You know, I, I didn't expect to, to, to join Voris. I, you know, when, when Kyle and I started speaking, you know, in, in June about actually joining the team kind of came out of nowhere. And within a week I was sort of, I sort of realized I was like, huh, I'm actually a little burned out of uh, on, on my own of just kind of like doing the, uh, the song and dance routine that I've been doing for, for years. And what I saw here was an opportunity to build something bigger. 
does that mean, you know, after, you know, we, we accomplish whatever our goals are here to accomplish, it's a very secure feeling in, in, as me personally, because I know I can fall back on, you know, whatever right. I need to go back to. And then there's also elements of that that are fun, you know, to be on your own, travel, do all that kind of digital nomad stuff if you like yeah, that. that's cool. But let me, let me just backtrack for a second about one of, one of the points you made about sort of how there's this big wave of people leaving work to become freelancers, which is not all it's cracked up to be. And a lot of those people are going to run into a, a harsh reality soon. But I think the reason behind that drive is that so many companies create terrible experiences for their people. Mm, yeah, that's and, definitely. And there's no alternative. So you, once you're in it, you sort of have to say, well, it, it's a paycheck and finding a job is, is difficult enough on its own. Why should I leave this thing? I got to stay. And then they're just stuck in the situation where for years, sometimes, oftentimes, yeah. they're just in this terrible team environment. And I find it so disappointing too, because your responsibility as a business, I think, and this is just my opinion, should be to do really well for your people. Because it's such an important part of your organization. There are the people who work there. It, it is the organization. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it is. And it, it, and it's, and it's. It's doable to make yeah. it great. It's just a couple things. And, you know, we both have examples of this where, and I understand people are human at the end of the day. And, and a, a lot of times we, we associate intent with, with actions. And sometimes that person is just under stress under, you know, there's just a lot going on. They can't, they're not cut out. They don't know what to do to create that good environment for people. But in almost all cases, it's a, it's a fixable thing. It's a, it's a thing where you can introduce a new cultural aspect to something. You can improve the overall energy and mood of the price, but it's, it's never something that is, that is passive. Well, I have a fun question for you. What do you think is, it's going to be a fun one. Okay. What do you think is something that's an easy level, the, the ease to do versus the impact it has on the culture within the organization is a very strong ratio. So relatively simple to do has a big impact. What do you think that is? So I think we, the first thing that comes to mind yeah. is something we sort of talked around right now was the, the pace schedule, whatever you want to call it about your, your meetings and going from being probably not as communicative to more communicative to adding structure to that communication. So it's not just like, uh, okay, I'm here for five minutes. What do you, what do you want me to do? Right. I'm clocking in and clocking out of the meeting, so to speak. So like having more like meeting agendas and like focus and meetings. Outcomes. Focus for sure. Okay. Giving people, so, it, and it's got, there's so many meetings are somebody showing up and yelling at people for five minutes or yeah, whatever it like is. And then th that's not a meeting. That's, that's a, that's a rant that I'm attending. Lecture, yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it, that's, that's no fun for anybody. But if we can commit to sort of saying like, maybe it's something where, Hey, look guys, I feel like our meetings have become a bit stale. I feel like there's, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, we're not communicating enough where maybe there's a little bit of people aren't following through on the tasks that we're asking people to do. Let's reset. Right. And can we do that for sure? And we do that by doing things like as simple as showing your face on the zoom call. I, right. I, I mean, I know it's having some stand. What I think you're saying is having some standard for meetings, having define the standards. Yeah. Define the standards. Every meeting, yeah, everyone's camera should be on in a meeting. We should have an agenda for every meeting. There should be clear next steps at the end of a meeting or whatever it might be. And then, in, so those are the, the external agenda items. Yeah. You as the leader, I think should have some internal ones too. Like what? Like you never be negative. 
Oh, just sure, never sure. be negative. I see what you're saying. And you don't have to say to everybody, you're not allowed to be negative on the meetings. You as the leader, you are not allowed to be negative on the meetings. Yeah. The, that's the kind of maybe internal list where you showing up, you know what, like we all have standing desks here. And I think as a, as a policy, I started doing this after, after, after meeting Kyle really, but it's a stand up for meetings, you know? Yeah. We go on walks for ours. We go on, we go on walks literally. And it, it changes the energy level. Totally. It, it's, it's little things, you know, the people who show up first up, how's your day going? If look again, if it's the leader, if it is the person and it's not just the CEO, if it's the leader of the meeting, yeah. if they start off, yeah, you know, it's been a rough day, man. It's been, even if that's the case, you have a responsibility to show up to your team totally. and you know what? Suck it up for five minutes. Yeah. It's so important. Bring the goddamn energy and it changes yeah. everything. I'm so passionate about this <laughs> energy enthusiasm. Like this is my world. It's so important because what you're doing by not being able to control your own negative emotions is you're actually bringing down everybody else. Exactly. It's actually the worst thing you can do. There's nothing that drives me more crazy. And I, and I have this, it's had to happen this week, actually. I have this happen frequently where there's some like energy vampire in the meeting. And it's like, yo, what are we doing here? Yep. You know what I should start doing? I should just start kicking them from the Zoom meeting. I mean, Imagine if someone was being a little grump grump and I was just like, bye. And I just kicked him from the meeting. And, I'm, and afterwards, I'll just tell him, like, look, to be honest, you were sucking the energy like a vampire. <laughs> so a little extreme. Well, I but I it. mean, I kind of I love it too. I mean, like, th think about this. Like, if, if let's say you're having a bad day. Yeah. If you're the other person yep. and you're having a good day. Yeah. And you show up and you just, you have this thing you really want to share with the team. You want to share, guys, I've been sitting on this. I'm, I'm going to share this. Everybody's going to give me yeah. some, some great feedback. It's going to feel great. I'm excited about this. I genuinely believe I have something incredible to say. And I'm, I'm and I, and I show up to the meeting and the person who kicks off the meeting is going, all right, guys, you know, I mean, I guess I'm here for the next couple of minutes. You know, it's just, it's been, it's been a rough day. I, you know, what's going on guys, like, well, you know, or maybe not even the space to, to say anything to just say, all right, number one, I see we got to talk about this. All right. I guess I'll talk about the, yeah, just bad it, it brings everything down so that it ruins the day for the person who had something good to say. Yep. It's this, it's like a double edge. It's not a double edge. It's like a multiple levels of, of leveraged negativity. Doesn't that make sense? Well, that's the next book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, you know, people down. I'm yeah, exactly. A memoir. I, I'm very passionate about this topic because I try to bring a positive energy into everything I do, even if I'm feeling like absolute crap. Okay, little example here, take you behind the, uh, behind the oh, curtain, oh. so to speak. This, uh, today's been a, been a, a rough podcasting day. It's, it's, it's a 740 as we, as we record this. Lots of camera issues, lots of technical it's our problems. Fifth attempt. Fifth attempt to do it. And, you know, I went and took a nap while Kyle like fixed stuff up. I'm not <laughs> like, for real, like this is, but one of the, one of the elements here is that we have a streak going. You know what? Yeah. If I'm feeling down, which, you know, I was, I was very tired a few, like a, like a little while ago, Kyle, same way, uh, <laughs> one of us has the power to go through it. One of us does not. But, uh, but basically if we break a streak here, what are we saying to everybody else? You know, yeah, it's so true. It, it, what's it, what's it take to spend another few minutes to talk about a subject that I really deeply care about that I know you give a damn about yeah, for totally. sure. Totally. I mean, it's a, that's the kind of stuff that, that, that I've seen feed through to other people. So. It's just so important. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, this is going back to, it comes from the top. It's like how a leader behaves in certain situation. People notice when they, when they have to deliver tough news, how do you deliver tough news? If there's a challenge, how do you deliver a challenge? If it's a rough, you know, rough day, like how do you behave when there's a rough day? 
So I've got a quick question here. Maybe you look at it as a, as a bit of a challenge question. If you want to reset things at your organization and you really want to sort of uh, raise the bar um, and you want to start with yourself, right, to raise the bar, maybe a good question is how dramatically energetic, how dramatically positive, how dramatically, what, insert the term that you want to use to, you know, where, where you're trying to raise the bar to. Do you have to be so that it is impossible to be around you and not also try to match that a little bit? Yeah. And here's another way to say it is how do you make other people feel? That's a great way to say it. Because at the end of the day, as a leader, your job is to make other people feel, for the most part, feel good. I mean, at the, of course, there's constructive feedback you're going to have to get. It doesn't always work out that way. But I think that's like a core principle. Like people should feel good interacting with you. And if they don't, that's a concern. You hear these stories of these like manic CEOs that everybody hates. And some, for the most part, they don't have very much longevity. And then you hear about people that people really enjoyed working for. And it doesn't mean not giving constructive feedback. It doesn't mean not pushing people to do their best work. Some people who were not great to work for as far as the energy or how they made other people feel some of the time, often it's reflected upon as really impactful. Like, oh, he pushed me super, super hard. Or, you know, she made sure that the quality of my work is really, really high. She held, held me to a really high standard. That's a really important piece of it. How are you making people feel? Because people want to feel good. They also want to feel like they're growing, they're developing. That's all important. They don't want to feel down all the time. And unfortunately, there's a lot of leaders out there that are in positions that people report to where they make others feel down. This is why it's, it's not just about showing up and just being stupidly happy every day for right, no right. reason. That helps. But, it's, but, but being in a position where are you taking the time to look at the faces, this is why, again, being on camera is important, the faces of the people in your meeting right. and really considering, do I understand where that person's at right now? Yeah. Do I, have I really taken a second to be like, hey, what can I, what can I do to help you get to your best work? Yeah. Different people need different, have totally different motivations. Yeah, yeah, big time. But I mean, if you go back to the sports analogy for a second, there are coaches out there who show up and people will, for whatever reason, within, you know, a few days, will, you know, run through brick walls for that person. Yeah. And there are other people who show up and they might be technically the most brilliant people, but the team just kind of looks and goes like, yeah, he's brilliant, but ugh. That's terrible. Any success with that kind of person is short-lived. Guaranteed. That's what I was going to say. It's totally short-lived. I actually have a, a pretty intense story about this where there was a person in an organization that I worked at that kind of destroyed any team that he worked with. And he was incredibly tough to work with. Nobody enjoyed it. The turnover was out of control. Like people leaving all the time. People who did stay too long just felt super, super trapped. It's like ultimately a really negative experience. It sucks the energy out of everybody who works there. And it doesn't stop. It eventually creates a ton of problems, which it did. And unfortunately, there's a lot of companies where there's people like that who hijack any sense of progress that people feel and people feel very incredibly trapped. And during times like now, where it's a really a candidate market where you can go to, you can get a job so easy right now, at least in tech, you know, I don't, can't speak to other industries. Your people are going to leave at the end of the day. Like they're just going to leave. They don't like working here and they should probably. Probably. I mean, it, it, it's, it's an unfortunate way to, to, to set things up where, where it's, there's so much vulnerability there, but at the same time, how else are you, I mean, you're not being realistic if, if you're not expecting the, this kind of a setup, 
right? right. You, you, you don't understand the market. And I think it's, it's, let me ask you this, how many people do you meet who are in leadership positions from managers up? Okay. Who have genuinely received leadership training? Oh, interesting. Who have received, you know, I don't, I don't ask them really. So I'm not sure. I know, I know Robert, who we're going to have on the podcast, he is the CEO and he's a great founder. Um, he went to like a pretty intense leadership workshop recently. It was very expensive. And he, he said it like changed his life. It was like life changing for him. It really had a really, really big impact on him. It's the, this is, I hear these, these are so stories. One, so one to answer your question directly. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, there are organizations that, that force this to say like, you have to have leadership training, you have to do this, which I think is a great thing. But I have, I've met people who, if you think about this, sort of those, those like, like at school, how you don't get taught certain things. Yeah. Like none of us get taught about like personal finance or how to do your taxes or, you know, I, I mean, you know, trying to grab some of these things at school. Right. If you are lucky enough to have a parent to teach you this stuff or to, you know, it's always like some of the most life's most important lessons yeah. are done by luck. You have, ha you happen to have, you know, somebody around you, a mentor to show you how to run meetings properly at a very specific, you know, yeah. tiny little example here, then you're great. But if you didn't have that mentor, where else are you going to get the structure from? It's so, it's basically on that person's shoulders to go read the business books to go read the personal development books, to go read the how to run a meeting books and synthesize that information, turn it into good stuff, match the company culture. It's very, very difficult to just expect somebody to be elevated into, you know, any of these positions and suddenly perform well. Yeah. And executive coaching is typically larger companies use executive coaches. So I've seen it again, executive, that's why I said leadership specifically, yeah. because executive stuff I've seen happen. And I think by the time you get to truly executive level, then I feel like a lot of people have had that kind of training. I don't know if it's a lot. Like, really? I, I don't see it at the earlier stage, which, which I would argue it's probably more important because oh, yeah. I've seen so many founders who get past the, I don't know, if you call it 30 to 50 person mark, it depends, but between in that range between 30 people and, and, and 50 people as they're scaling, where they completely shatter and they become like shells or their former yep. self. It's really chaotic and they don't know how to lead properly, both in a broader sense to the larger organization, but then also to their direct reports. And it's very, very disappointing. And then they read, you know, they read like leadership books and they try to implement exactly what you just described when really they should probably hire a coach, you know, like how much is it to hire a coach to help you become a better leader? Five grand a month. Just, just some focused work, even if it's for like a two week period or something where it's just, and that is good. Just yeah. something where you're, you're looking for, you know, we've been talking about outcome oriented stuff a lot recently, yeah, yeah. um, uh, hat tip to Rob Fitzpatrick specifically, but the outcome oriented nature of things, if I know that I'm not great at meetings or yeah. I know that my meetings could be better and I, and, but I, I really don't know what I don't know beyond that. Right. Right. If I can just go and have something to like implement quickly. Yeah. Get some help. It, it is. I genuinely believe this is one of the things that is so fixable. You're asking what's an, what's a, what's an easy lever, easy switch to, to flip. This is one of them. I think it's just adding yeah. some sort of structure to your communication. Yeah. I mean, that's good. It's good. I'm, I'm still stuck on this, like leadership coaching, I, that concept, because it blows my mind that not a lot of the startup founders spend money. It's because you have limited run, right? Like I, I get why not, but it, you know what it is? It's really hard to to track the ROI of having a leadership coach because there's a lot of interpersonal stuff. So it's one of these things that I think is just a little bit tough to say like, yeah, if I spend 30 grand, that's over, true. 
at, you know, six months with an executive coach, I'm going to generate another 1.2 million for my organization. The truth is though, like it could probably be that dramatic because you're being given frameworks, experience, advice, you're, you know, how to navigate through certain situations. Like all of that stuff's really important and having that information going into your day-to-day, -day, I think has extreme value, but it's hard to quantify, which is why people probably don't do it. And I think it also, there, and there's, I think it's a, a double-edged problem too. Like one, one reason is a lot of coaches get lumped in with like life coaches. And that's true. I hate to kind of, you know, be negative on, on a, a certain profession, but I think a lot of life coaches include people who are just kind of wishy-washy and, you know, we want to help you. And it's so unfortunate too, because the value prop of a life coach is so strong. I have the same feelings as you, you do here where it's like, I don't like to talk down an entire profession. Because there are great life coaches out there. there. Are great, I, I believe that. Yeah, there are definitely but great life coaches. But as, as an industry, it's kind of like internet marketers, right? Right. Internet marketers, when I say that term, I'm smiling because I'm an internet marketer. Yeah. But most internet marketers are, have no idea what they're doing, have no structure, have no track record. And it's just like, you know, I'm lumped in with a group of people who I don't want to be lumped in with. But that's an aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, there, there are definitely industries where I think if you paint with a broad rush it's overall negative life coaching kind of falls in that category because I've, I've met few life coaches that i think are actually good a lot of them are people whose own lives aren't really you know that on track and being a life coach it, it doesn't require a lot of previous experience you know at least it seems like but anyway it, it the value prop is really strong for having some kind of coach in your corner it's just sometimes a little bit difficult to calculate roi well i mean then let's move away from roi in a second and maybe define some problems and i think that that's one thing, again, from, from my perspective, I, I've tried to be aware of this and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of areas, but one thing that I felt back in, in November was that I wasn't a dude, this is why I'm so stuck on the, the, the meeting angle. Maybe I felt like I wasn't running good meetings, to be totally honest. Like mm -hmm. I, I thought, and I thought client work, I'm on top of it. I feel super confident forever. Yeah. I believe in my stuff in front of clients with the team felt a little naked. I felt like it wasn't, it was like, oh, wait a it minute. It was newer for you. Yeah, but it was definitely newer for me. And it's, and my team building in the past has been, again, as a consultant, I will come in and build your team and then exit. It's not really my team though. And so one thing that, that I, I actively, I, I literally, I asked Kyle for help on this, where adding, sorry, I should go back, defining my problem more specifically. And if I just went off and say, Oh, I need help to become a better uh, CMO. And I, you know, it's actually, it's funny there, there, there are resources out there, but you know, what, what does that even mean? A, a better CMO? Like it's, it's tough. There's so many angles that you could kind of go down. It's like a life coach. Is that, I want a yeah. better life. Yeah. Okay. Let's define my problems better first for myself and then look for the help for it. Mm. And then look, I mean, I feel quite strong about the meetings now. Cool. What's the next week area for me? Yeah. What can I then improve? And again, biting it off in that chunk of like, is it something that I can do immediately yep. this week and see results with? And you should hire people with that level of self-awareness as well. Like, what am I not good at? Like, and this is hitting a nerve too for me because um, I'm running into this. If you enter a week, I'm going to add some stuff to this afterwards, but as a general rule, if, if I enter into a week and I don't have an area that I feel I can get better, I'm failing that week. For me, I'm always focused on trying to pull up. Now, I don't consciously go into every week with an objective of where I want to improve, but by the end of every week, I know that I've improved in a certain area. I've interacted with folks that are like, oh no, I'm good. It's like, oh, you are this whole week. 
You're just totally good? Okay. What's next? Oh, nothing right now? We're just going to ride this little wave here? Okay. That's crazy to me. It's, it's, so I don't know if you, you meant this consciously or not, but one of the things I've noticed as a setup here from some, some of our internal uh, communication that I think is excellent is we're very big on feedback loops. I, I've always been big on feedback loops. I'm a big believer in this, but what I've seen you set up again, not sure if it was conscious or not, but on Mondays we will do basically a, a setup for the week of what's, what's the big picture thing. What's the, yeah. you know, what's the week's goal. Then we have the daily sessions to sort of check in on the, the mini tasks, the mini goals towards that goal, hopefully, right? Yeah. Any blockers, all that kind of stuff. But then at the end of the week, we also have a little form privately that we can just fill out and we can sort of say like, good, bad, you know, and it's basically, we're closing the feedback loop and we're, so my, my point to this is that if you offer your team the structure of a feedback loop, when you have your people going through that experience, it becomes very self-evident to them where they were struggling. Right. And that is sometimes a thing that I think people are not very good at doing by themselves to sort of sit down with, I got to journal my thing out and, you know, on a Friday night, I don't want to do that. But if you, if you give them the structure, it is so important, but, but some people don't have the structure for that. So if you give them the structure with this kind of, well, and some people start to interrupt. Some people just have a ridiculous ego that stops them from any sort of self-development, which is horrifying. Biggest red flag, in my opinion. If I, if I meet somebody who's 70 years old and has built all this great stuff and they say, and they're the person, I don't need anything. I got this shit down. Like, you know, right. it's, it's, it, I, I don't really trust that person. very. Let me tell you something that came up on a sales call, but not for us, for one of our clients. I was doing, like I was working with them and we were listening to the sales call and we're listening to this guy. He's 70 years old and he's <laughs> about to leave his organization and give it to the next person, whoever's going to take over for him. And he goes like, look, I just want to make sure that we have some clean processes in place and that things are going to be running really well. You know, I have a lot of experience. I've been doing this a long time. And I don't know, Jim, whatever the guy's name is. And, you know, Jim doesn't have as much experience as me. So I want to make sure that he has everything he needs to be successful. So that's really what's motivating the conversation. I mean, you know, Jim's like 20 years younger than me. So there's still a lot more there. And I was like, this dude, that means the guy's 50. Mm -hmm. So this person, 70 years old is saying like, look, the, the 50 year old has ways to go before he gets to my level. That means the 70 year old has realized between 50 and 70, he has grown. 100%. That's incredible. So when I see a 32 year old person tell me that they are all good, that should terrify them more than anybody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't dig one thing out we can improve on. You know, crazy to me. We, we've, we've talked about the, uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? And this is, this is definitely an example of that where you taste a little bit of success. You taste a little bit of, of maybe you're good at your job. Maybe you're a good salesperson. Yeah, yeah. Example. Cool. That's Congratulations. That's, that's, that's an achievement but you suddenly think you're on top of the mountain. Right. And if you want, and if that's the mountain you want to climb and that's where you want to stay forever, congrats. You're, you're on a, you're a tiny little mountain, but it's a, and you're there. But the more, I mean, in, in my experience, people who then surround themselves with real top performers, nobody's ever satisfied. And, right. and that's in a healthy way. Like you will see people kind of realize, wait a minute, I thought it was up here, but the more I learn, I realize my little mountain that I thought was, was, was my, was my peak, you know, over here is actually just the beginning of this crazy, huge mountain that I, I'm looking to climb. And 
I mean, the Dunning-Kruger effect is literally, it, it's that kind of shape where yeah. you sort of realize as you get more experience of, wait a minute, I thought I was up here. I'm really down here, really, all things relative. And then I spend the rest of my career kind of climbing up, back up with a little bit more humility. You see this with people in many different industries. I'm thinking about a couple, especially performance-oriented industries. You see this with traders all the time, people with a little bit of early success, you know, 25-year-old up here, oh, I'm a genius, I'm whatever. Yeah. But there are no, you know, nothing compared to the people who actually survive in the industry and really, you know, build sure. longevity. Yeah, well, real quick, and I think this might be a good place to end. Speaking of mountains, do you know the largest mountain in the world? I feel like it's a trick question, not Mount Everest. Not Mount Everest. It's underwater. Okay, there you go. Nah. And here's what's interesting. That mountain thinks it's the tallest mountain, but it's underwater. It's powerful stuff powerful stuff we should definitely fact check that <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> well, you have something to google now thanks so much for watching dan it's a good conversation as always hey man take care bye bye guys bye.